The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, get your Michigan State boxer shorts on and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 435 with guest Don Kiley, recorded live Wednesday, March 25th, 2009. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, the NRTV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com And now, the man who can't play a game of horse without consulting dictionary.com, Carl Franklin! Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. Richard will be with me in just a minute for the interview that was recorded live at Dev Connections in uh, Orlando last month. Hey, uh, before we start, I want to let you know that we're partnering with Microsoft to uh, help promote TechEd 2009, TechEd North America, which you can check out at mstechEd.com. TechEd North America is happening in Los Angeles this year, May 11th through the 15th, and we've got a couple of things going on around TechEd. First of all, Richard and I are going to be there doing Speaker Idol. And uh, Richard and Greg are going to, Greg Hughes from Run As Radio, they're going to be doing the IT speaker idol, and Richard and I will be doing the developer speaker idol. And uh, we are going to be doing some interviews for TechEd Online, uh, like we usually do. And you might even see a live.NET Rocks panel discussion or so. Now, there's two things going on. One is a promotion where if you're an active MSDN or TechNet subscriber, you can take advantage of a $200 discount off the full conference fee by using the registration code listed on the MSDN and TechNet subscriptions homepage. All you need to do is go to that portal to receive that code, and uh, you can get $200 off. Now, the other thing is we're having a sweepstakes, and the sweepstakes goes like this. Go to .netrocks.com, click on the TechEd 2009 graphic, and you'll be taken to a place where you enter your information and answer a question about a recent .NET Rocks show, just to prove that you were listening. Of the correct answers, every week, every Thursday, we're going to take all the correct answers and pick one at random, and that person is going to win a .NET Rocks mug. On April 30th, 
We are going to pick one lucky winner from those weekly winners, and that person is going to win a free pass to TechEd with hotel covered and airfare covered. That's right, airfare to Los Angeles, hotel room, and your ticket covered. That's what I'm talking about. So go to dotnetrocks.com, click on the TechEd graphic, go to the sweepstakes page, enter that question. And good luck to you. Now let's go right to the interview we did with Don Kiley in front of a live audience at Dev Connections, Orlando, 2009. Hey, Orlando! Welcome to .NET Rocks. Wow! All right. Wow! What a throng. Hey, Richard. Hello, sir. How are you? We're at Dev Connections, Orlando, and it is uh, springtime in Orlando. What could be happier than that? It's beautiful out, and we had a great attendee party last night. We got, we both got there. Did you guys go to the attendee party? Yeah. It's all good. Lots of nods. Lots of meat. Yeah, meat good. Oh, joy. <laughs> meat good. We got the bacon <laughs> on the stage with us. Yeah, that's the right. The bacon from Alaska. That's right. Our guest today is Don Kiley. He's uh, been a developer and a speaker for going way back into the to the days of yore, and uh, he's probably been at just about every Dev VS Connections that we've had. I can't remember one without you. I think, though, there was a couple that I had to miss. There was one year that I was I was out of out of things. But, uh, yeah, no, going back to, gosh, before the last millennium, I guess. Yeah. And your specialty, I guess you would say you're sort of a generalist, but you really love the database stuff. You love security. Yeah. And this is really where your forte is. What are you, what are you talking about here at Connections? Well, I'm doing three sessions, uh, two in the SQL track and, and another in the ASP.NET, ASP.NET uh, AJAX 4.0, that's coming down the pike for rich clients. And then I did a uh, What's New in SQL Server Security yesterday, SQL Server 2008 Security. Nice. And then later today, I'm doing a tips and tricks session about Management Studio. So I have about three hours of material to cram into 60 minutes. So you really are a generalist. I mean, you're sort of all over the map in terms of the technologies that you specialize in. Yeah, yeah, I'm real scattered. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's kind of funny. I, I've been thinking more and more about that lately. I really used to be a generalist. So I've spoken at, at Office Connections and SQL Connections, ASP.NET Connections, and you know, all the different shows. Mm. But the last couple of years, that's just been impossible. It's been Microsoft very hard. is releasing so many different technologies. And so I'm really focusing on the, the data-based web applications and security aspects of that as sort of my, my little slice of heaven. Outside now, I, of the conferences, don't, I mean, what do you do most of the time? Are you, is that the kind of apps you're building or, or sort of the web against the database type stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've got uh, one real big client right now, a nice client in, in Fairbanks, which is wonderful. Which is amazing because that's yeah. actually where you live. <laughs> that's right. right. Okay, nobody knows, it's above the Arctic Circle, isn't it? No, we're actually um, just south, about 120 miles south, south of the Arctic, of the Arctic Circle. So, so you, you can see it from your house. You can't yes, see Russia that's from right, your house. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I can see Sarah Palin from my house. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, but that, that's sort of an inter interesting client because they're they're actually still on a on a moldy archaic ASP. Our classic ASP. Classic ASP. Yeah, yeah that's. I guess the, the polite the term would be classic. Right. The, the, the implied term would be moldy ASP. <laughs> it's, it's 2009, and I'm writing VB script code. Oh, yes. what is wrong with this picture? But we're gradually moving them um, over, and, and some of the admin stuff and backend stuff is is now um, ASP.NET, and doing some AJAX stuff for them, and and so we're we're gradually bringing them. That's interesting. This I mean, a, a, a great sort of case study element there of what does it take to migrate ASP sites <laughs> like. 
is there any particular trick you come up? Or are, you, are you somehow managing session between the two versions or anything well, like it's, that? Well, it's really specific to the type of website and the content. This is, it's a membership subscription kind of website. Okay. And heavy into content. They really push out content and it's, it's, uh, they charge a fair amount of money for, for, for it. So it, it really is going to depend on how, you know, what features there are. Like there, there isn't a whole lot of programming behind the main site, there's right. some searches for for different funder types. It's it's oriented around finding grant funding. Okay, um, and uh, um, so a lot of the stuff is static HTML. So that's pretty easy, mm -hmm. except that it's really ugly HTML. That's just <laughs> various people have developed over years, and and uh, um, so we're cleaning that up. And we're actually I'm in the process of probably early next month rolling out a, a new version of the site that has the same backend stuff but cleans up the appearance and you know uses. Cascading style sheets and a little bit cleaner client. So for Ajax, are you using update panels or are you actually getting more down a little bit lower? A lot of the stuff granular? is update panels that we're using right now. Um, but now we're, we're really focusing more on enhancing the experience and making it more efficient by really using the, the client side, the pure Ajax. Um, okay. And can, what about jQuery? Are you using jQuery at all? Just starting to. Just starting yeah. to. That really wasn't on my radar until Microsoft started talking about it. Right. And I've started playing with it, and it's really an amazing it's library. It's pretty cool. Yeah. For, for as tight and small it is, it, it has a lot of functionality. And, and that's one of the things that's really made a big difference that I used to hate. Well, in fact, I'm doing the, the session on Ajax later today, mm. and I, I, I'm coming out a little bit and talking about just how much I hate scripting. Right. Mm -hmm. And it turns out I'm actually starting to love scripting. Mm. So a lot of people do scripting for ASP.NET. It's, uh, it's, it's just this, it's sort of this, this typeless language that actually is, uses types, that is, looks like it's object oriented, that really is sort of not. Really not, yeah. And, and all. But what jQuery does, and to some extent the Ajax library, is it, it simplifies that, um, some of those sort of weirdnesses about JavaScript. It makes it much easier to write real applications on the client. That's well, the, the, the other app. side of the challenge there is that every browser even just say within Internet Explorer, different versions of browsers, mm -hmm. implements this stuff slightly differently. Right, right. I'm just trying to get, if I ever have to write, if user agent ever again, I'll kill myself, <laughs> right? right. right. Mm -hmm. But I think jQuery does a good job of extract, abstracting us mm -hmm. away from that. We don't have to deal with those sort of irregularities. Right. Which is, it, quite frankly, one of the, the real reasons that, or the biggest reasons I think there is to use that. Because if you're just writing raw JavaScript code of your own and creating your own frameworks and everything, you've got to deal with all those browser incompatibilities. Right. Plus, and that's there's so a many nightmare. plugins for jQuery. You right. just go download and use. Mm -hmm. Somebody told me about a UI plugin, like that creates windows and like right. pop-up windows. And there's fading and, and animation plugins Absolutely, yeah. and, and stuff like that. And that's, I think that's one of the smartest things yeah. that they did with jQuery. Rather than building a library that was bloated, that had everything you could possibly ever need for a user interface, mm -hmm. they kept it small, tight for the basic stuff, implementing right. that browser compatibility stuff and various... Uh, um, being able to get access to the document object model objects on the on the page, um, they really focused on providing that core functionality. And then, if you need something else, you download this little 2K library that adds that particular piece of functionality, and then that's all you have. So your browsers stay you really keep tight. the weight down. I think yeah. that's the big thing. Yeah. All right. So far, we've been all you know happiness, love, peace, and love, and everything. What drives <laughs> you nuts about Ajax programming? Does anything drive you nuts? About the tools, um, about the procedures. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is is working with the the preview versions. Microsoft is changing stuff left and right. Yeah, but oh, you okay. kind of know that. Yeah, it, it's preview stuff, and they're refining things, and they're changing names of stuff, and and all that. Mm. Um, 
Debugging is still problematic. Even though the JavaScript debugging in, in Visual Studio 2008 is, is way better, mm. um, there's still a lot of times where IntelliSense just doesn't kick in. So there's a few little tricks you need to know, like dra dragging over the, the references with the three slash, slashes in front. Um, you can rebuild the, the, um, the objects. There's a menu I file something or edit something to rebuild those, those references. And yeah. So it's, it's not truly integrated yet. Um, I heard version is seamless. The next version will have some nice debugging stuff for JavaScript, is what I heard. Right. Yeah. And you mean uh, 2010? Yes. Yeah. And I haven't yeah, played yeah, with yeah. that at all yet. So I... are we allowed to say that? I'm sure, we are. Yeah. Okay. They've, they've talked about the stuff yeah. that's in there. Okay. You know, I, mean, I can never remember what's. We under sort of breezed so. past this, but maybe we got to sort of emphasize what is evil about update panels in, in the in sort of the existing version of Ajax. Well, let me talk what's good about them first. Okay. What's what's good and happy about them is that it makes it really easy to Ajaxify, if I may, um, an existing page. Right. Because you slap an, a an update panel around some some HTML code, and instantaneously you've thrown away postbacks, and the page doesn't have to refresh, and that portion of the page gets refreshed automatically. Right. Yeah. And and, so and so great for an existing app who wants to. Get right. that sort of dynamic feel. Right. And if you right. have a set of, say, input fields, you know, your classic input fields, would you put an update panel around the whole set of them or one around each individual field or? No, around the set of fields. Around a set. Yeah, because you have to get in some, some coordination things. Right. With, if you have multiple update panels, you can coordinate them, but it becomes a little bit more problematic. One, one place that I use, tend to use it a lot is if, if there's a kind of a longish grid, particularly one that scrolls off the page, mm -hmm. if you make selections sometimes, it resets to the top of the grid, oh, which yeah, is annoying. Yeah. Yeah. But by doing an update panel, or wrapping an update panel, you can click on something, it'll update it, and stay at the same location. Nice. It's a little bit user-friendly. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, it's really causing problems. So now to talk about the, the downside okay. of that is that um, uh, the problem with that is it's not really Ajax. What's happening behind the scenes is that when you, when you have something wrapped in an update panel and you click on something to cause an update and some sort of callback to the server, it has to send the entire set of view state from that page, which can be bloated. You know, if you're not real tight with view state, right. it's being all sent back to the server because the server needs that in order to know the states of those controls. And then the server can update that, that view state so it comes all back again. But what you're actually getting back from the server is the HTML that is going to be displayed inside of that update panel. Right, right. So you're getting, a, it's, it's just a lot of traffic going back and forth and bloated traffic. Well, it's also, it's still making the server do the work. The rendering mm -hmm. still happens on the server, right. and then it's sent to the to the browser to display it. Right. And and I think that really kind of defeats the purpose that we we thought of with Ajax with this idea that more work on the client. Right. And and strictly speaking, that is not Ajax. Right. It right. sort of is, but it's not really Ajax. Well, it's it Ajax behavior, but not under the under the correct under the covers. Correct. So. Uh, from day one, um, ASP.NET Ajax has also supported uh, something closer to the to the pure version of Ajax, which is this this asynchronous call that just makes a call to the server and gets data back. And it's usually JSON or or you know, right. various formats. But and it's, it's more granular tight. too, isn't it? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because you have control over over exactly the call that that you make. Right. You're not sending view state. You're not uh, getting all this HTML back. You're just getting the, the raw data, essentially, that, that you need back right. from the server. And then, in the browser, you then have to do the JavaScript in order to change the page, whatever right. that means. Right. And before some of the, the improvements to Ajax, that meant you had to write a lot of very ugly, messy JavaScript code in order to use the document object model to grab a reference to these, these elements on the page, 
do whatever it is that you need to do, update them, change the class, change attributes, change the content, whatever. And then, um, and then, and then the user sees whatever that, that, that changes. Before we talk about, um, Ajax 4.0, which I would like, really like to talk about, let's talk about what, you know, we've talked about update panels. We have the ASP.NET Ajax toolkit. There are third party toolkits, some that are free and some that are, are, you know, yeah, a lot of the free. commercial vendors of commercial panels. vendors. Yeah. And, and then let's talk. So let's talk about some of those. Okay. Um, there's some free stuff out there. I know the Gaia toolkit. Is out there. Uh, they replace all of the um, ASP.NET controls with uh, identical interface okay. uh, controls. I've heard of that, but I haven't played with it. That so, have yeah. that have AJAX built in. Okay. And then there's um, uh, well, Telerix ASP.NET AJAX mm -hmm. controls. Have you worked with those? Yeah, yeah I worked with uh, um, early versions of it before yeah. Microsoft really had a, a story of. They of really AJAX. did it first, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. They were the leading, and, and a lot of the other component suites now uh, support that. And then, of course, there's the Ajax Control Toolkit, right? Which was a community effort. And this, the and and then Microsoft's ASP.NET Ajax, which comes in the box, so right. to speak, mm -hmm. uh, as a plugin. So this is obviously what you're working with, right? I'm I'm tending to stay fairly close to the Microsoft stuff, mm -hmm. um, just because things are changing so much, and and also it kind of keeps me a little bit closer to the. Bleeding edge. So it's and I a little self-service. I should point out the Telerix Ajax stuff is based on ASP.NET Ajax Microsoft. So right. it, it is just extending it, but, right. but you're dealing with the toolkit itself. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and, and that, uh, the control toolkit is nice. I was very pleased that, that Microsoft has said, um, publicly, I hope, that, uh, it's actually going to be pulled into Visual Studio 2010. Yeah. And, uh, so that, that's going to give it new life because it was originally created as, as kind of a, a community effort. Right. That was guided by Microsoft. Um, but it languished a bit there, but you had the source code. But they're really focusing now on, on updating that and making so it more So what's viable. the difference there? What, it, what does it do? What do you get out of the box with that, with ASP.NET Ajax? Um, the control toolkit or The ASP control toolkit, yes. The toolkit. Um, what you get is, is a set of controls that are, um, uh, have Ajax implemented. It's not really the pure client Ajax as much, but the big thing is that there are extenders that Take just a regular control, like, a, like an ASP.NET text box, mm. and give it additional behaviors that you can hook into AJAX to make these asynchronous calls back to the server and get updates. So it uses extender providers? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's actually, in most, there's actually only a couple um, pure controls that they implement. But it extends existing controls in order to, to add these additional behaviors. That's a great example of an extender provider. We've, you know, in the early days of .NET, extender providers are like if you have a, a tooltip uh, and you add a tooltip to control to a form, it attaches properties to the controls on that form, mm -hmm. and and this is just a way to have another control or another component extend. The, the the functionality of an existing control. And you don't have to mess around with the source code of the control itself or it's brilliant. use Reflector to get at it or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a real nice way to, to extend things. But it's still kind of a corruption of Ajax. But it's a nice corruption. It's a yeah. useful corruption. So you, it, Alan, you get into that <laughs> idea, you get away from the philosophy of Ajax of this grab the raw data and render on the client mm -hmm. and into the sort of functional part of Ajax that people really appreciate, which is asynchronous updating of a page. Right. Hmm. And and both get away from these postbacks, which is, and is really things. pretty wasteful. Yeah, get yeah. Rid it's, of the it's useful, but it's 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 very wasteful as well, just in terms of network traffic and, and the latency. Well, and I feel like we've come full circle on this too, right? That 
I mean, ASP.NET, when it first came along, was very much billed as, hey, you know how to build WIM forms? You can build web pages, too. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not AptiveX. Which was better, though. Yeah. yeah. I think it brought a new generation of web developer up, Mm -hmm. but it had consequences. Right. And, and how Microsoft wrapped this stateless, this, well, this, this very rich interface around the stateless HTTP protocol was just absolutely brilliant. It was. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, but you know, it has some has some problems. I'm just right. fascinated yeah. that we we're back at writing JavaScript. Right. Well, who did we have on the show? Was it Doug <laughs> Crockford? It's like you know, it's not that JavaScript sucks; it's just the DOM that sucks. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so when yeah. you can protect that's yourself right. from the DOM, actually, this is not a bad little language. Right. Yeah. And that's what the Microsoft AJAX uh, um, framework does, as well as jQuery. Right. And all. And uh, and Richard, you and I were talking the other day that that it, it, it sort of feels like back like the days of VB3. Yeah. Yeah. When for the first time, Visual Basic really could do data. Yeah. And it, it's now like like the client within a browser can really do data, and that's what. You know, to, to um, jump into some of the Ajax 4.0 stuff, um, but the you know I really did hate scripting code because it was ugly, messy code. Yeah, and I, I and I forget the guy's name, Douglas Cro- Cookford or Crockford or something. Crockford, this yeah. is the yeah. guy we're talking about. They, we just had him on the show. Oh, you a, did? Oh, a I couple of months ago. Okay, I'll have to listen yeah. to that. Yeah. yeah, he had the book with uh, you know the good parts, the of good JavaScript. parts of JavaScript. Right, 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 yeah. right. And I and I have it's an O'Reilly book, and and I have the the JavaScript reference, which is you know about three inches thick. And then his book, the good stuff, is yeah, is like maybe a quarter inch thick or something like that. Um, so the, you know the subset of good stuff in JavaScript is is kind of a, a, a small part. I'll have to go back and and uh, yeah, um, four twenty two Doug one. Crockford. Yeah. Okay, okay, I'll have to listen to that one. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we just had that. We we had some of that those pieces of conversation. So the uh, the other thing that's interesting about this is that if you get into that metaphor, that this new AJAX jQuery metaphor, suddenly your backend starts to look the same with this infrastructure as it does with, say, Silverlight. Mm-hmm. Now, really, our backend's job is largely, here's a chunk of data, now give me back a chunk of data in, in some kind of wrapper, and that's all. There's not a lot of thinking about the presentation side of your app anymore. That's happening more and more on inside the browser. Right, right. Except for the original rendering of the page. So you still have that because you're, you're originally right. loading a page. The, the ASP.NET right. is having to, to do all that stuff. But then the interactivity part of it is then becomes everything in the, in the browser. Yeah. So what are the limitations in the current implementation of AJAX, uh, uh, ASP.NET AJAX, that aren't addressed in the next version? Um, or AJAX? Yeah. Um, the, the biggest thing is, is this, this handling data. Because you could, there are various ways, AJAX is long, the client side part of, of AJAX, the pure AJAX, has long supported being able to, to get data. But it's what you do with the data once you've gotten it. So um, uh, what AJAX 4.0 does is it introduces um, binding, in essence. Um, that's a gross simplification of what it does. But now you can actually get this data and automatically have it bound. Let the, the framework take care of updating the page. Now, when you say AJAX 4.0, is this AJAX? They're all. I was, I was going to say with a capital A, but it's all capital, isn't it? <laughs> but it's not any particular implementation. This is the pure definition of asynchronous JavaScript. Well, when, when I'm using AJAX 4.0, it's it's Microsoft's next implementation. Okay, of, and, it, of and AJAX this is not libraries. exactly the fourth version of the AJAX it's not. library. It's, it's like it's like the second or third, Maybe depending the third. on how you count. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because the original version was released after. Um, Visual Studio 2005 and ASP.NET 2.0. Right. And then, um, and that was released out of band. 
And then they included it within Visual Studio 2008. Okay. And that, there were some minor changes, but it was really the old one. So that so really sort of was 2.0. Yeah. So it really is kind of 2.0. But they've called it 4 to sync it with, sync it with the, the .NET framework, framework 4. And, and, yeah. and this yeah. is going to be a big release because that's also, that's all going with Studio 2010 as right. well. Right, right. So, so this right. is basically what, you know, for everybody who didn't, who just missed all that, what you can expect out of Ajax in the box in Visual Studio 2010 is Correct. really what we're talking Correct. about. Correct. Okay. Although Microsoft is, is releasing, I, I, I kind of suspect it almost sounds like they may release, and I have no inside information on this, um, but it sounds like they may release. If they finish it, get in finished form before 2010 is ready to ship, mm. I think they'll probably release it. Do an out-of-band release yes. again. Yeah. Mm. Well, and then uh, incorporate it in This is in Scott the Guthrie talking about, and he, he loves his out-of-band stuff. Like, mm. I, it wouldn't mm. surprise me at all if he did that, and then also release it as Whereas part of it the drives me nuts. Does I mean, it really? It's great getting the, well, and, and that's what I was kind of referring. Between preview three and four, yeah. um, and four was just released last week or the week before, um, you know, a lot of stuff changed. There were changes to, to names, like the um, data source is now data context, because it's kind of taken on a little bit richer right. uh, capabilities. And um, so that just blew all my demos. So in my session today, I'm actually doing a mix of three and four, but it's all in flux anyway. Mm. Um, wow. So, and, you know, so it's, it's great to see that, but it, it also makes it really confusing. Because what I found is, is when I'm looking for, for information about um, the different previews and, and all, I find samples saying, oh, here's a great sample that I built using Ajax 4.0, a preview. But they don't say if it's preview 1, 2, 3, uh, or 4, or whatever. And I right. try and run it. It doesn't run. And I'm thinking, well, OK, I can't really figure out because they didn't include the library. So it's, it's that kind of issue. Okay. On, the, on the other side of that, and maybe I'm speaking from a political perspective here, the fact that they're putting out previews that do breaking changes Gives me much more of a sense that we're actually seeing the work in mm. progress. It's not like this oh, is, yeah. these are marketing previews and the, the product has been cast and they're just, you know, tweaking right. things. Right. They're really, you know, you get involved in a community preview and you give them feedback and you actually see that change you the see product. The changes. Yeah. Which is great. It's, and it's not some of the games like they're kind of doing with Windows 7. You know, okay, they kind of do those public things, but it's not. Yeah, it's not really. Yeah. They're much more careful with Windows, I think, right, as the right. versions they're actually releasing. So let's get back to the issues that around the current versions of Ajax in, in mm -hmm. data, and then what what we do to address those in the next version. Okay. Um, so the the in in the existing versions, the released versions, um, there wasn't always an easy way to make updates to the page. You really had to do a lot of the work. Yeah. You had to hook into the DOM. You had to. Um, Use the inner HTML or inner text uh, properties, right. and, and of course that brings up browser compatibility. Just finding and locating a control is right. ridiculous. Right. And and the the current versions of, of the AJAX library, in Microsoft's AJAX library, have support that simplify that a bit. Not yeah. to the level of jQuery, but that help you get access to those those components. Yeah. But you still had to write a fair amount of JavaScript in order to update the page and do all that magic stuff. Mm. Whereas okay. the new version now, they're really focusing on making that simpler and have it handle automatically. So are they wrapping the DOM somehow, or how? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's really two things. They're, they're wrapping the DOM, but they're also um, providing what are called uh, uh, client templates in the new version. And the client templates is really, it's, it's data binding. It's, it's similar to the server-side data binding of an ASP.NET page, but it uses a cleaner syntax because it's actually using the WPF syntax in order to bind. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And, or, or WPF-like syntax. Right. And there, there's flexibility with, with, uh, um, uh, live, and I suppose that implies that the opposite is called dead binding. Um, <laughs> a, a one and two-way binding on it as well. So that if, if, if you bind 
the data that you're getting back, usually as JSON, um, from the, the server, you can bind it to these elements. If you bind it to an HTML element that is editable, like a text box, right. as opposed to a, a span or a, or a list item or something like that. Right, something that's, then, that's inherently uneditable. Correct. Um, within HTML, then you can update the data and the new support in the li this latest release, Preview 4, actually lets you, um, a lot like a data set object on the server, actually lets you then save automatically the data back to the database. Wow. Depending on how you're getting the data. So is it actually going to package, like say I'm filling in a form here, mm -hmm. is it actually going to package up that whole request and right. send it as a, as a, uh, uh, an asynchronous submit? Correct. Wow. Right. That's very and, cool. And it keeps track of all the changes. And, and what's really cool is, is that say you have a, a list of items, you select them one at a time, you make changes to, to the field, you select another item, you make some changes, then you have a single um, save button. It'll keep track of all the changes and save all of the changes for all of the records. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, a lot like a data set. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. it, it, wow. I mean, but using an AJAX set of interfaces and... and very right, it's all on the client on, as opposed to... But it is actually server. doing the work on the client. That's right. the thing right. I think most of the time in ASP.NET, my feeling has been when as soon as we got interactive, we were hammering the server. We were doing right. postbacks and mm -hmm. latency became a huge issue and so forth. Right. So, I, I mean, I'm interested to see that I can actually fill in a grid or fill in a bunch of stuff and have some good interactivity. Have it all happen. Yeah. But in a latent connection. You know, right. there's no nothing better than 300 milliseconds of latency to find out how much the web can suck. <laughs> That's right. That's so, right. Uh, browser support? Um, yeah, so far I've, I've uh, tested some of the stuff I've done in uh, um, IE, um, 7 and 8, um, Firefox, just three, some of the versions, as well as Chrome. And it works great. What do you think of Chrome? I like it. Yeah. Um, I don't use it as, as my general browser, but I've, I've moved entirely to Gmail and uh, uh, huh. Google Calendar, and which are you know heavy JavaScript applications. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And Chrome rocks with, with when you have a lot of JavaScript. Fast. It just rocks. Yeah. Um, some sites don't render quite yet because no. it's yeah. But what about Safari? What about the Mac side? I haven't I haven't worked with Safari as much. Heard anything um, though about it? Um, not any problems. It, it's it's explicitly being supported. Okay. By the by the preview. Um, who knows what happens, you know, at, at final release. Mm -hmm. I, I don't recall all versions of, of Safari, but yeah. uh, I did have to, I was diagnosing a problem where one of the uh, um, users of this, this client in, in Fairbanks, um, actually located back east, was using Safari. And I thought that the problem might be browser specific. Right. It turned out not to be. Mm -hmm. But I had to uh, um, load up um, Safari, the latest version, and, and play with it. And, and it's, it, it has some kind of cool features, but mm -hmm. I didn't get into it too deeply. And this is the Windows version. Yeah. So, uh, other features in Ajax 4 besides the ease of data access? Well, kind of need to bring up security. Um, yeah. You are, is, you are a security guy. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm nominally a, a, a developer security MVP. Um, mm -hmm. although I've been doing a little bit less of that the last year or two. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that I still don't know. I want to bring it up because I don't know how secure this is yet. Right. And the big reason is that, um, a very, the easiest scenario for using some of these data features of AJAX 4 is going to be using um, ADO.NET web services. Formerly known as Astoria, but yeah. Formerly known as Astoria. Well, and, and, um, and it's, that's a bit of a scary technology because it feels like I stuck my database on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're exposing that stuff. Now, you do have control over what you expose because you have to go into the, the client side or the server side and, and um, explicitly expose different methods or whatever, or you can use yeah. the asterisk and expose everything, which is generally not a good idea. Right. So you do have control over what you expose, but but here's a scenario that, that I haven't figured out yet. 
Um, I have a, an admin site that the, the people who control the content of a website need to get access to, that, to update users, to maybe update some of the content, to change a user's uh, username and password, those kinds of, of functions. Right. And I want to use AJAX 4.0 in order to do this, and I want to use an ADO.NET web service because that very closely integrates with AJAX 4.0. It's the simplest scenario for using data. Sure. Right. And so I, I put an entity framework model behind that, which exposes, you know, takes care of all the the, the uh, cred stuff for updating the database and reading the database and mm -hmm. so forth. Yeah. And I expose this method. How do I secure that? Because I can I can um, do this within the context of an, an ASP.NET page and hook into the form space authentication or whatever I'm doing for that. But now I've got this, this essentially a web service, a form of a web service, that I'm, I'm, I'm using to get a list of members, get their passwords and so forth, and then make changes back. Mm -hmm. But I'm essentially exposing that publicly if that admin uh, application is available across the internet. Okay. So how do I secure that? And so, in fact, I, I was talking with uh, um, uh, Michelle Bismonte about this a little bit yesterday, because I thought there was something that I had missed, that they had to have built in a better security story. And it turns out it's, it, it sounds like it's going to be very difficult to really hook into security for this. I mean, it, it ta it's, it's not something you just flip a switch or is easy. It yeah, my first really thoughts was, was SSL and NTLM, right? Right, which if, if you have the environment to do that, yeah. you don't always have that. Yeah. But just I mean the SSL to encrypt the connection in well, general, SSL, right? Right, but that's not actually any kind of authentication or anything. Right. But then NTLM is the handshake, but and the browser would then pop that great user dial, you know, username mm -hmm. and password dialogue, and you type that stuff in. SSL helps protect that information. Right. I mean, it's not beautiful. It's certainly not you know clean form space. Yeah. But once I've done that, I've basically authenticated the browser. Right. Is that enough? This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik. And when it comes to testing web applications, usually you have two options. Do it manually, which is hard and takes forever, or use automated testing software, which is quite expensive and rarely does a good job with modern AJAX applications. And all of this is destined to change with Telerik's new automated testing solution, WebUI Test Studio which promises to bring a new era of automated testing to the masses. The product is offered in partnership with Art of Test, the experts in quality assurance technologies. Telerik Web Test Studio is specialized for testing ASP.NET applications, especially ones with rich AJAX and client-side functionality. What's more, it's fully integrated in both Visual Studio Team Suite and Professional Edition, making it easy for developers and QA to collaborate. To top it off, the studio ships with special wrappers for the Telerik Ajax controls, which expose control-specific test actions. Web UI Test Studio is ready for the future, with Silverlight testing features coming soon. Check it out at telerik.com, and don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. I have yeah. the code to do exactly what SSL does, but manually. If you're interested in that, I can. Share I would be. Yeah, I'd love to see that. Yeah. Okay. Um, but she, I, I imagine, if you were talking to Michelle, she went down the WCF. Oh line. yeah, she yeah. is. You know, the Indigo well, and, girl. And, and the thing that that I that that she confirmed for me is that there it doesn't hook into any of the WS stuff. All the right. WS, Interesting. Yeah. WS right. Technologies for securing all this. Stuff. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of weird. 
So because you're still, so I can authenticate the page, right? But I'm not sure that I can authenticate the the, the data access. The data access. Because yeah. I have this in this 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 public web service yeah. that I don't want the public to be able to use, but it's going right. across the internet. Right. right. So that's the piece that I just am not comfortable yet enough with. Yeah, we, you we need to talk. I can help you. With okay. That. But yeah, if we yeah, get in, yeah, okay. we get in the database data side of that thing. Once you authenticate a page like that, you do an NTLM handshake. You now have an an, an impersonation level. Right. At the ASP.NET level. And, and I can hook into that, and, and I need to, to create my own token to hook into that. It's just a question whether that actually attaches to a story well. I mean, that right. would be the problem. Right. And that's and that's the weak link that I'm not sure. Can I pick up my yeah. the person, what I've impersonated with NTLM and actually propagate it back? Yeah. I don't know. That's and a good to make question. really clear what, 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 the, what the problem is, um, is that it's not that the, the page load and the interaction with the I can the page, do that for you. <laughs> okay, but the, the, the actual data service. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a manual cool. process by which you have a, a private and a public RSA key, and those are easily generated. And the okay. public RSA key goes with the uh, with the client, and uh, that is used. The client then generates a Rindle, well, just a big 120 EP key, and with Rindle encrypts that, and then encrypts that with the RSA key and sends that. Once both sides have the the uh, 120 EP key, they use Rindle to send messages. Those can be, you know, username, password. They can be data. Any okay, data so you're that not you want locking down access to the web service, no, but you're locking down data, which is all port eighty, which just is great. Pure data encryption. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, you're going to have to build a proxy in front of your your web service to do this translation, but right. the back end stuff should be the same. Yeah, okay. just a couple of methods. Is all okay. You need, really. And 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 that's the other thing that kind of um, is 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 a little worrisome to me is that. You know, doing security like that is a little bit hard. You really have to, to set it up and make sure that it's working right. Yeah. Whereas I would like a better something built into the data services that yeah. makes that easier, that yeah. hooks into the, the page authentication. Well, I think most developers just want security to work. Right. You yeah. Know, they don't, they, the cycles it takes. I mean, the upside to the SSL NTLM process is it's largely configuration. Right. You know, that that feature is built into the browser, it's configuration on the server, there's some steps to follow, but once it's all turned on, it's done. Right. But the sad part is setting all that stuff up, and then it just breaks. The story just breaks because it doesn't actually handle the impersonation properly. I mean, it gets into very specific problems. So once you have the data, though, yeah. you know, the AJAX 4.0 story is, is just beautiful. It almost makes it it's simple, and there's there's a bunch of different ways, and I'm going to show that in some of these in my, my session later today right. about... Uh, you know, how you hook into it and, and uh, what level you want to do. You can do things programmatically. You can do them declaratively. Yeah. Um, you have a lot of flexibility in using that data. You know, Microsoft has really taken its, its data binding lessons and applied them to um, uh, the preview. Sure. Anyway, there you go. There's a video that will so, show you how yeah, to do exactly the, that. Yeah, up on the, uh, the, the screen code. here at the okay. show, you've gone to DNR TV. And if you've never seen DNRTV.com, this is the... Sometimes you need to see the code show, right? Like, it's all, .NET Rocks is a lot of fun, but it's audio only, which is great when you're commuting. Please do not drive a car and watch DNR TV. Yep. I'd like <laughs> to say that now. Uh, people tell us they're doing that, and, and it frightens the us. source code right there to do exactly yeah. what you want. Oh, okay. So now that, that, but it looks like that's generalized um, encryption. It's basically just a .NET class that does uh, generalized encryption, but it uses a, there's an example that uses a web service. To uh, to do exactly this. Okay. I mean, basically, once you have once you have the the key at the client, the the public key at the client, and the private key at the server, you can use that to pass encrypted messages back. Now, I don't have .NET on the client though to decrypt the data. It's true. Yes, that is a good point. 
Yes. So because yeah, if you're going from a .NET application to a .NET server application, you're right. But I don't have .NET. You're in a browser. Yeah. yeah, I'm in yeah. a browser with JavaScript. You're right. Yeah, I'm sorry, you're out. So of obviously, the answer oh, is Silverlight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you know, Silverlight's a whole thing. I haven't gotten into Silverlight hardly at all. Really? But with the uh, um, well, originally the first version was this pretty stuff. Yeah. And I'm not really a designer. I had that gene removed at birth. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and, and if, if, if you look at my session materials or come to my session this afternoon, you'll really see that. Um, but, uh, um, but it has, it, you know, has that subset of the .NET framework, you know, for data and a lot of other, other support that I need to do. But, yeah. but my context here is that I can't install anything on the client. Yeah. Right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Better worse. We, should, okay. yeah, we live, okay. we live in the confines of the browser there. In a sense, I'm bummed because I thought I had the solution. You're right. No, SSL the is the SSL is the obvious answer then. Yeah, yeah but yeah. that's that's encryption, not authentication, right? Yeah. Well, but yes, but through an encrypted channel, you can authenticate. Right. And then once you're authenticated through that encrypted channel, then you can. Right. Theory. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's not SS. Well, it sort of is SSL, but yeah. But the problem you'd have is to do your own. The, you'd have yeah. to do your own authentication. That's the right. issue. Right. Once you're encrypted, you'd have to send your own credentials and then. Right. Get those on the on the server, right? And that's not directly supported, at least as, as far as no. I found within data services. No, yeah. So it'd have to be it, something. A, else the issue part about all this is the failure here is whether or not data services actually will take the credentials from ASP.NET and use them to to access data. Which it doesn't as near as I can tell. Yeah. But I'm not convinced that I haven't missed something yet. Yeah. But, you know, but still new again, data if services. you send, if you write the code to send the credentials yourself over an encrypted channel. Mm -hmm. Then you just need to figure out how to authenticate those credentials. If it's forms authentication, it's easy to do yeah. right. manually. Right. So I need to hook into that somehow on the server. Right. Because the problem is, is, is that what I'm concerned about is not security within the context of, of this page that I've done. It's the security of somebody just writing their own page, knowing about the yeah. service and making a call to the service. Right. Exactly. And that's what I need. That's ultimately what I need to protect yeah. against. Yeah, 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 yeah. So right. I, I need security of that, but I also need to protect against the security. Service. is an issue that you have been working on a lot, especially in SQL Server. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, I think I mentioned that I, I've kind of gotten away a little bit from the developer security, but I'm still really focused on SQL Server security, the, the database and data access directly. You see, I remember you doing talks on code access security back mm -hmm. when we used to talk about code access security. It seemed we stopped talking about code access yeah, security. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, that, that opens up a whole other thing. Let's open up a whole <laughs> wait, other wait, thing, Doc. There is, there is something very interesting you said to me yesterday in the speaker's lounge, which was, I said, how are you doing? And you said, uh, I'm about to send about, you know, a hundred, two hundred developers into shock. Uh, about some something about their security, uh, about oh, what, SQL yeah, security. We were and it, you were going to like drop a bomb on somebody about some insecure part of SQL or something like that that people were going to run home. And uh, oh, I don't remember the, the context. Um, <laughs> I think that was right before I did my SQL Server uh, 2008 security that's session. It. Though. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah. Oh, what was that? maybe what it was we just a joke about? you were talking about? But um, I kind of think so. But. Um, yeah, because because uh, um, I did a lot of encryption. You know, that's a cool part of SQL Server. But but yesterday's session was really about the the security features at the database level, yeah. less so the the data in motion kind of stuff. The, yeah, right. isn't that SQL Server now has great ability to encrypt tables like directly onto the they're stored in an encrypted state? Not entire tables. Oh, okay. There's two forms of encryption. Um, there's the SQL Server 2005 um, version of it, which I call cell-based encryption where there are functions within Transact SQL that let you encrypt 
a single bit of data that's stored within a field in a particular row. Right. And so you have to explicitly encrypt and decrypt the data as you write it's it. It's literally it from column by column, row by row. Correct. The correct. individual cells. Which is very right. cool because you can encrypt the data and protect it. It's very easy to implement things like row level security. Right. Um, which SQL Server has never really fully supported. Yeah. Because if, if you own a key and I own a key and we have two different bits of data in different rows, you, only you can get access to the, the data in your row and right. only I can get access in my row. Huh. Um, but then what's, what's really new in, in SQL Server 2008 is what they call transparent data encryption, which tells you exactly what it is, right? Transparent <laughs> data, data encryption. encryption. But this is, is where it encrypts the data file itself. The, the MDF. Yeah, the MDF, as well as the log file. Right. And um, what that does is it's an entirely different sort of protection. The cell-level encryption is protecting against data access um, problems. Right. Whereas the transparent data encryption is protecting against when you say put this burn this file to a, a DVD and give it to a courier to send across the Atlantic. Right. And it, it gets lost. Um, up to now, um, if you attached even with with cell level encryption, if uh, if somebody got access to that DVD, attached that file to a um, instance of SQL Server that they had admin um, control over, they would be able to get access to that data. They could defeat the cell level encryption. Correct. Correct. And there was some ways around that, but it was, it was extra work. Right. But now with transparent data encryption, if you don't have the certificate installed in the server instance, then you can't even attach the database it won't to attach. the, even if you have, um, admin rights on right. the, on the, on the, the server instance. It, it's, in my exercise in security, one of my best demonstrations ever has always been haul the hard drive out of the machine and plug it in as a secondary drive on a different machine. And right. oddly enough, now I have admin access to it and off we go. Amazing right? how that works. Yeah. Right, so right. It, as soon as you take it out of the context of its original machine, mm -hmm. it gets very challenging to protect it. Right. And that points up what's so hard about security because you really have to think about all those kind of scenarios. Yeah. And how often does somebody pull a hard drive out that has a database on it and put it into another one? Right. You have to think about that kind of stuff. Yeah, so lots, it's really hard yeah. to... lots of folks tend to think about computers as in as invalid. They're, right. they're, they're attacked, and we never think right. about them that way. But you also have to think about your, your threats. And this is, has been something that, that as, a, as a trainer, and I develop courseware and things like that and speak at conferences, that um, provides me with work, is that... Um, you know, it's easy to think about, well, okay, the entire database is encrypted now, so I'm, I'm good. I don't need to do any other kind of security. Well, no, not at all. And that's part of the demonstration I did yesterday where I, uh, um, you know, I, I implement transparent data encryption. I do a select star from, never do select stars, but just to show that I can, I can read data. Right. And then I encrypt the database and I do the exact same select statement. I can still read the data. Right. Once, if I have permissions to read the data in, in a, an encrypted database, I can still read the data in an encrypted database. Mm -hmm. But it's when I go to, I steal an MDF file and try to attach it to an instance. That's mm -hmm. where it kicks in. And that's protecting against entirely different kinds of threats than the cell level encryption. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's important to understand the threats that you need to protect against in your environment. There was an XKCD comic I saw a little while ago with it. You know, it, yes. And you, the, the, the guy goes, Bobby. Oh no, he's encrypted the drive with 120, oh, right, right. 24 bit RSA. It's going to, we're going to need millions of dollars of computer equipment to fix it. He says, or a five dollar wrench and beat the password out of him. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that was a recent one. Yeah, if you don't follow xkcd.com, that, yeah. those are great. These they are really, fabulous. The, the quintessential one that I, I first thought you were talking about is, is, uh, um, what they named their their kid? The it their, was uh, the kid the drop uh, table. Yeah. Uh, asterisk uh, uh, semicolon uh, um, uh, 
drop table, something or other like that. Yeah. And that, yeah, and, and so he entered his name into the school computer system and dropped Six their student data back. <laughs> Awesome. And, and the school called to chew out the mother, and she said, well, maybe this will teach you a lesson. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh, too so, funny. De definitely some insightful stuff in that. And make sure, one little tip on XKCD, make sure you hover over the, the uh, comic, because the, the tool tip behind the comic is often just as hilarious as the comic itself. But be prepared, be prepared to lose some of your regular non-programmer friends. Because they won't get it. Yeah, yeah there right. are there are huge. That's right. Every so often, I'll forward one to Carol. Yeah, and she'll and she just, just like, "What, what is a strange what are you look smoking? about?" Uh, now, yeah, yeah, I can't, couldn't help myself. Now we're on XKCD, and we're I'm looking. Well, let's see one. I'm looking for the for the one where they beat they, where they beat him with the with the yeah, it was relatively recent. Yeah, it was relatively recent. But yeah, these are all very simple comics, and the hover over is hilarious. Looks like something Rory would draw. Absolutely. Yeah. And the art, the, it isn't about the art. Yeah. It's not. Right? But yeah. When you, ho when you hover over, they usually have a great line in the hover as yeah. well. Very funny. All right. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Another digression, but we are prone to such things. We are. KCD. Do you, um, yeah. do you find that people, uh, developers in general have, uh, more or less knowledge about Encryption, basic encryption, than they used to. Um, is this something that more people are paying attention to, or do we I, I, still know? Did most people still not know what one-way encryption is? I think there's better awareness of it, and I think things like the, the distinction between uh, um, encryption and hashing, I think, you know, is, is generally well understood. I just don't see it implemented all that much. Yeah. Um, other than well. What it seems like is, is that most developers seem to be reactionary as opposed to proactive about okay. stuff. When there's a problem, when there's a vulnerability that's been identified, then you get into it and, and do it. And, and, and you really you know, can't blame them for that, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're all kind of lazy. We need to yeah. get our job done. We're under pressure to, to produce an application, get it out the door, and, mm -hmm. and all. Um, so I definitely understand that. Um, and, and like yesterday, nothing against the people that were at the session, but it, it happens over and over again. Um, I really wasn't going to spend a lot of time on, on encryption. But people were a interested, and b hadn't really implemented and, and, and used it. And yeah. so I spent a little bit more time than, than I had planned on it. Yeah, um, which, which is great in a sense. But you know, this has been out since SQL Server 2005. And granted, not everyone moves, particularly in server software, to the latest version. Yeah. By the way, um, but uh, um, it's obviously not being as widely used as I would have expected. Um, and that's and that's been actually kind of frustrating because um, I've I've done a lot of conference sessions and and user group. Uh, Meetings talking about uh, partial trust ASP.NET applications. Mm -hmm. um, I, or I had, and uh, I talk about it and I show how it's a little extra work and what the benefits are because if you're running a partial trust application, if well not if when an attacker gets control of your site, it really <laughs> limits. And that's how you have to think. Yeah, it really limits what the attacker can do right. because they just don't have permissions on the server to to, to go wild. Mm. But um, but it, I just don't see it being adopted at all. It's, it's not. It's not. The only time it's adopted is when you have a shared hosting arrangement. Yes. And the shared hoster is mandating. They've changed machine.config. I also, yeah, I also argue that that's why that feature exists, was it was about shared hosting in the first place. And yet it has so much benefits, even on dedicated servers. Sure. Yeah. yeah. For, like you said, relatively low barriers. Maybe just, what are the main things you do when you live in a partial trust environment that are different? Um, well, the biggest thing is is that you have to write your code so that you don't assume that you have all available permissions. Right. 
Because even if you use medium trust in an ASP.NET application, there are a lot of permissions, a lot of things that you can't do. All of a sudden, you don't have unlimited access to the file system right. on the server. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's all within the context of Windows permissions. It's right. not an end run, right. end run about around Windows permissions, right. but it's what you can do through the common language runtime. And um, and so you have to write your code in order to handle security exceptions. So you have to test and first. That's the biggest test thing. to see if you have permissions before right. you do things. Right. Or handle the exception. Or handle yourself, the exception. Whatever yeah. is, you know makes sense. Yeah. The other thing is is that um, very often there are are um, either other assemblies that you're using, whether they're third party or even developed in house, that um, uh, are deployed to the GAC or um, uh, or in other um, scenarios where. You can't call it from a partially trusted assembly mm. because it's not mm. decorated with the allow partially trusted uh, caller's attribute. Yeah, right. And so you have to do an end run around that. And and the end run is to write a sandbox, essentially write another assembly that wraps that. That other assembly has full trust, but has that attribute on it. And then you call into that that intermediate assembly that then can call into the third assembly. Right. And it 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 it, it can be a very secure secure scenario. It's not really doing an end run around the security. You have mm -hmm. to be careful, but there are ways of doing that. But it's a little bit more work to do that. Mm -hmm. okay. And again, um, you know, I'm a moderator on the www.asp.net uh, forums, and that's a, a very frequent question. And and it it just tears me apart anytime somebody is is does a does a post in the security session where section or forum where it's gosh I'm having this problem getting this the security exception, and somebody immediately responds, well, what you need to do is change your trust level to full trust. Oh! <laughs> um, so yeah. I, I immediately respond to those. It's like my compiler is spitting off errors. So all you need to use the silent option so that's it right. doesn't Turn report those errors. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then you won't, you won't, yeah. Well, that's right. and I worry that we, you know, part of this is internal to Microsoft too. Mm -hmm. I mean, they aren't using partial trust themselves. When WCEF came out and it required, it could only be called from full trust applications. Yeah. I knew that something in Microsoft was broken. Yeah. Now that's that's gotten better. But the thing is, is that with each new version of the .NET framework, they're chipping away at the code access security protections. Right. So one of the things that that uh, um, they've announced is going to happen is that that, and I, I forget the exact um, configuration of it, but essentially, if it's if it's on the local machine, it's full trust. It's automatically trusted. Wow. Um, which is is a change to ex the policy was sort of like that, but um, and and I think they're changing it for the intranet as well. Hmm. And so they're, they're just chipping away at, at the protections. Less and less and less of yeah. the trust features being used. Yeah, yeah. That's frustrating. You mean we, we need another one of these initiatives where they go through and back this right, up. Right, right. But, and you, I don't, and it I, is well. The context of it. And, that, and there's a security transparency which sort of is, I mean, it's a kind of a good change, but it's, it's still an aberration. But we original. know what happens when we do that. I mean, look at the success of code access security, yeah, for example. That's right. That's right. The and I wide that, adoption. People, I say people? that like this, okay? <laughs> <laughs> code access security was a feature that limited what you could do. You could limit what an application did uh, in, on the, in the CLR, and it's sort of what we're talking about here, but uh, nobody used it. Nobody uses code access security. Nobody. Is anybody here really explicitly? Unless you're forced to because of partial trust applications. Anybody? Yeah, I see. Okay. I Let see the no hands. Let the show no hands whatsoever. <laughs> no hands. Well, more specifically, mine is the lone hand. Yeah, your hand. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, and, and it, but it, security hard is, and, and one of the hardest things about it is that the whole security thing changes. Yeah. You know, attackers yeah. are very clever and, and you, you can't just implement security and go off and do other things. Right. You have to monitor it. You have to update yeah. it for different vulnerabilities and 
And it's not just a thing of downloading updates from Microsoft. And there are techniques that you can use to attract uh, uh, hackers. The honeypot uh, right. thing. You know, Pat Hines always said that you should t uh, rename your administrator account to something like Doug, and then create another administrator account that has uh, user privileges, but it's mm -hmm. named administrator, right. and and then monitor it with audits. Right, you know, right. to to watch it and see what's happening, you which just can sort be of put very it out fascinating. There. Right, yeah, yeah, and and some of the um, like on on uh, one public website, I've I've turned on some of the logging both in SQL Server and in ASP.NET. Yeah, and just the number of failed logins that come in yep. each second yep. on a server because the, the one particular SQL Server is public facing. It, yeah. it has to be for, um, but it's it's pretty well tightly locked down. But uh, just the number of of just attempts, particularly the SA. Yeah, and and certainly on those sites, I have an SA password that yeah, goes on really for long. days. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, with a mix of everything, um, but it's really amazing. And and what is it now? If you put a a, a new computer on the internet, it's like attacked minutes. and hacked in just like minutes. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't yeah. actually download the patches in time. In time. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm doing uh, talks with uh, with uh, parents at high schools. Oh, really? Saying how many people, and just disturbed at how many people have got broadband and have plugged it into their computer. Yeah. And you just, and now you know why the zombie armies exist. Right. right. They just have no idea that their machine's been exploited. No admin right. password. Right. It's typical. Right. Yeah. It's, it's right. really stunning. And how, and how do you find out that your, your computer is controlled? You know, unless you have audits. We kind of know how to do it and, yeah. and stuff, but, but. You're just a regular user. You know, I think when I was Carol, young and geez. stupid, I found a uh, a file on my C drive that was called hack 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 dot text. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't put it there apparently. No, <laughs> I was yeah. like, uh, time to do a little uh, homework. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Well, in the days of the first generation of broadband, it was basically a LAN. And people had their machines wide open, and I remember. And everyone could see everything. I just say, I see everybody, and I just right. go around and drop stuff on their desktop that says, "Your machine is wide open. Would you like me to format your drive?" Because right. I can. Yeah. I have to admit, I used to do that at conferences. Yeah. I'd go, I'd, I'd be sitting in, in uh, you know, out uh, connected to the network, and I just go surfing around hard drives and just kind of look, and you know, I never did anything, but yeah. but it was it was somewhat amazing. But these were the days before XPSP two is where this changed. Mm -hmm. that, that, that this that sort of turnover. The machine is at least got some security on right. it. Right. Right. Okay. So anymore. we talked about AJAX four. We talked about uh, database security. There was another thing in your list uh, of talks that you were doing. Uh, oh, the sessions here? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Management Studio. Management Studio. Yeah, tips and tricks and traps and tricks. The SQL like Servers Management. SQL Servers Management, management right. Studio. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, just the real brief part of that is, is that it's built in Visual Studio. Um, it's not really the full version of Visual Studio like the, the um, Business Intelligent Development um, uh, Studio is, but uh, um, there is a ton of features that are just Amazing that, that you can use and shortcuts and, and so forth and moving around tabs and it's somewhat extensible. Um, so there's a, a real interesting, uh, um, uh, third party application that hooks in that gives you um, views in some of the page structures and so forth and you can hook that into and, and, uh, so I'm, I'm going to go through all those and I actually, um, w recorded the session for, uh, um, Dev Connections, uh, online and I, I, in 75 minutes, I got through about a third of my notes. Wow. And so tomorrow's an hour, or this afternoon's an hour session, so I'm going to, uh, get through have even to less. Cut down dramatically. Yeah. Uh, any favorites? Um, 
Well, the keyboard shortcuts are, are some. Um, some of the things are um, just navigating around files, the bookmarks and right. so forth. And um, gosh, I'm trying a blank now. I'm doing the session in a couple hours. Yeah, I'm a you, better, you, need to get a, you need to remember <laughs> that's right, real that's soon. Right. That's right. Um, you know, one of the things is, is one of the real simple ones is that um, when you open the query editor, yeah. by default, the little panel at the bottom in SQL Server 2008 is this pale yellow. Yeah. You can change that color on a connection-by-connection connection basis. And so that's real handy because, and, and I actually, when I was um, uh, doing a lot of the partial trust within uh, um, Windows XP, what I do is, is I would have a command prompt, a run as uh, command prompt that was different colors. So I can knew if it was dangerous or not dangerous, if I was editing right. or not. So what you can do is change the color of that. So if you're directly connected to the production server, I have that in a deep red to remind me that if I do this delete statement, forget the from clause. Right. And then, by the way, you know that's the difference between developers and, and admin, DBAs, right? What's the difference? Well, the difference is that, it, that uh, um, executing a delete statement and forgetting the where clause to developers is just a bug. Yeah, right. DBA, right. it's a disaster. Yeah, you know, it's so a career-altering move. Delete That's why I always from write customers. I always, I always write the where clause first. That's <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Um, that uh, um, so I, I, I have that visual reminder that I'm in a dangerous thing, so I need to be really Interesting, careful. Because yeah, I do that on, on my local machine or a, or a test server. Well, big deal. I might lose a few minutes because I have yeah. to rebuild the database. Yeah. But I do it in the production machine. So that's a, just a real handy little tip. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And automating a few things and, and stuff like that. Yeah. In yeah. production machines, I basically never ran queries directly. It was you had to get a perfected script before right. you ran anything. Right. Right. It's just how it's just a level of analness. When it comes to that thing, it's nothing is like that trash a word? in a database. Right. Analness? Is that a word? Analness. Yeah. 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 It's the adjective form of, right. So, the adjective form of I want to keep my job. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, uh, let's talk about Alaska for a bit. Oh, let's, let's. Cause I, cause Can we not talk about Sarah Palin? <laughs> uh, actually, you're really into sled dogs. I am. Which I, I think am. is strange, but tell us about it. Well, thank it. you. Yes. <laughs> I, how many dogs have you got? Only 31. Only. Oh, oh, only. only. 31. Yeah. Yeah. I live in a kennel. Yeah. Um, and most of them are working sled dogs. Is your doctor's last name Fleischman? For anything? <laughs> no, uh, no, no. He disappeared into the Alaska wilderness. Yeah, I that's think right. was the he end did. of the, uh, yeah. the thing. So it's I like drying salmon and living in a hut somewhere. Yeah. But no, my, my partner and I, Carol Kleckner, um, we have 31 sled dogs. Um, like I said, most of them are working dogs. We, I think this year we're running about uh, 15 or 18 of them, depending on how everyone's feeling. We have uh, a few that are not sled dogs. We have a few that choose not to be sled dogs, which is perfectly fine. Yeah. Perfectly fine. We have some older dogs. How that the dog uh, choose not to be a sled dog. They just sit down when you say mush. Um, well, <laughs> it, it it varies. Um, Ivy is the worst. No. Um, Ivy's probably about six or seven now, and what she does is we'll hook her up, put her in harness, put her in the team, and she will turn around in her harness, look at Carol or me with these soulful eyes. And just stay backwards, so we can get started, and, and she'll kind of she'll walk along. backwards. Yeah, but okay. but just she just never kicks in. Please, because, sir, please don't make me. <laughs> and and the 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 funniest time was it, I wasn't actually there, but um, late in the spring, in fact, March is really fun because the days are longer, and and the Yukon uh, um, Quest and the Open North American have run, and so the trails are groomed. We have beautiful snow and everything, and so Carol took the dogs down and was going on the Chena River, which is the river that goes through town in, in Fairbanks. And she hooked up a three-dog um, ski door team. And she was going down the river, a safe place to have dogs running loose. And so she took Ivy out of the truck, didn't even put Ivy in harness, and because she just wanted Ivy to run along. Right. And, and mm -hmm. Ivy will stay, stay close. 
Ivy was so afraid that she was going to have to be in the team that she was leaping on the truck to get in uh, back uh, into the truck yeah. before Carol could harness her up or put her in the team. And so Carol took off with the team and kept going, turning around saying, Ivy, come, come on, come along, come along. And it finally clicked that Ivy realized, oh, I don't have to be in the team. I can just run along. Woo, let's go. And she ran along and just had a great old time. Did you say ski-jor? Ski-jor. What's a ski-jor? Um, ski drawing is a uh, um, just the the most fun you can do with dogs on snow. What it is 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 I'm hooked up to a um, uh, to one to usually two or three, but one to four dogs. Mm-hmm. I'm on skis. I'm skate skiing, not classic skiing, but skate skiing. Right. And uh, we go hauling down the trail. What's, a, what's skate skiing? Um, it's a form of of Nordic skiing, um, uh, cross country skiing. Where it's just like uh, um, being in, in ice skates. You're skating to the side. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, push um, off. It's much faster than classic skiing, which is why most ski drawers um, skate ski. Okay. Because I'm actually working. I'm providing forward propulsion yeah. along with the dog. But they're adding to your propulsion. Right. And you're As going opposed fast. to being on a sled. And, and going, Carol goes really fast because Carol weighs about five pounds. Yeah. Um, so she goes screaming at, at probably about 20 miles an hour with her fast team. You know, I'm a little, a little bit heavier, and uh, um, I have slower dogs. And so I'm usually going about 16 or 18 miles an hour. Holy cow. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. They, that'll uh, leave a mark if you fall. Um, well, hopefully the snow is 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 uh, soft. Yes, but but, I actually had but a, there are trees, too. There are trees. <laughs> they are not soft. <laughs> there are. There are. Have you and, done anything to marry um, technology and dog sledding? Um, not. Or do you keep those It's lives? interesting you mention that, because it's tempting to get into technology for the actual mushing and, and ski drawing, but I've actually resisted that yeah. because it's it's just being out there with your dogs. You want to keep these parts of your life totally yeah, separate. Yeah, and I mean, I have pretty high-tech skis, but that's about as far as it goes. Uh, and it, once in a while, I use a GPS and do yeah. some of that kind of stuff. But where it really gets in is, is um, I think I've talked to you guys about Second Chance League, um, Sled no. Dog Rescue, Second Chance League. I'm, okay. I'm president of this nonprofit organization where we rescue sled dogs from the animal shelter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so we, we have a website that I actually inherited and I'm maintaining, but I'm trying to now update that. And uh, um, yeah, secondchanceleague.org. Secondchanceleague.org. Yeah. Nice. Um, and so we have a number of dogs that, and the very briefly behind the organization is, is that um, when dogs come into the shelter, we evaluate them. And um, if, if there's potential to find them homes, We'll um, do whatever is necessary to overcome the medical problem if that's what it is. Hmm. If it's a temperament problem, um, we'll we'll put them into foster and work with them. Like we very often get very very shy dogs. We have a few uh, really really shy dogs where just human contact is a horrible frightening thing. To them, yeah. Frightening yeah. to that's them. That's yeah. I mean, generally a dog ends up at a shelter has had some bad experiences with people. Correct. Correct. And I'm sorry, and I'm, I'm not going to dwell on this, but I, I'm sort of say that that at the elite levels of of mushing. Um, a lot of the mushers are wonderful people and wonderful to their dogs, but it's very competitive. Yeah. And there's some pretty ugly stuff. Yeah. Really ugly stuff. Just so, say no more. There's nothing wrong with that dog. It just doesn't run with his team. And right. so, boom, it's at the pound. Right. Or worse. Or, or um, worse. Yeah. And, and so we get these dogs and we find homes for them. And, and we've, we've sent dogs across the United States. Um, it's, it's really rewarding. And they find new homes with, with, uh, great owners and, and, uh, I, these sites kill me. I end up all teared up inevitably right. when I go look right. at you know all these dogs that are been abandoned one way or the other. I just can't I can't go here. Right. Right. So where you live in Fairbanks is it uh, fairly um, urban or is uh, or, or do you, or do you live in sort of like you know northern exposure land where you're like the only <laughs> guy that knows what a modem is? Yeah, know? that's right. Um, well, Fairbanks is the second largest city in, in uh, um, Alaska. 
Yeah. Um, the city itself is something like 28,000 people. And you the live The greater Fairbanks area is about 40,000. And we live uh, um, out near Esther, which is just a small village. Um, it's about probably six or eight miles outside of Fairbanks. Mm. So it's it's very rural. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, So I'm you're the go-to guy in your neighborhood? For um, yeah. I, I kind of tr- try and keep that uh, little low-key. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I did live in Barrow on the North Coast back in the mid-90s. And, yeah. and I always billed myself as the furthest north at the time visual basic developer. <laughs> and nobody ever challenged me on that. Yeah, so yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, unfortunately, it's it's um, uh, Alaska as a whole tends to be more Oracle country as far as uh, databases Interesting, go. Yeah, yeah. Um, we have a very significant uh, technology community in Fairbanks, but it's really um, centered around the university, the supercomputers. The, the University of Alaska Fairbanks is really into heavy metal more than than the the you know the uh, desktop computers. Right. Um, I keep wanting to start a user group. So if anybody's listening to this and is in Fairbanks or in Interior Alaska and Want to want to join a uh, .NET or a SQL Server user group? Let me know. We'd love to put something together. You keep going to your meetings. You're the only guy there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> There's actually a few people at the borough. I, d- I did actually an app, app dev class at, at the borough. I was wow. I was so thrilled. It was my first time. I, I've taught for app dev for way more than a decade. I don't know how many years it's, it's been. It was my first class that I did in Fairbanks, and wow. I was just so stoked. I was just so excited. We had a great time with it. That's great. And, and there's actually several people. It was uh, both ASP.NET and, and SQL Server. Awesome. So cool. we're not, uh, you know, too, too rural hick in, uh, in Fairbanks. <laughs> well, we're just coming down to the end of the show here. Is there any last minute, uh, things that you want to put out there or, or, or shout outs or anything? Uh, no, play with, uh, um, client side and explore, be sensitive to security, spay and neuter your pets and uh, have a great time. Don Kiley, thank you very much. Thank My you. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. <laughs> .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website, at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a dog.